so much for giving us the opportunity to come together, and Lord, to celebrate you and to glorify you, Lord. I decrease that you would increase. I empty myself of myself. So fill me with yourself that everything that I say and do, every thought that enters my mind would be of you, not of me. I pray this in Jesus' name. Everyone said... Amen. If you have your Bible or Bible app, turn to Proverbs chapter 17. We're now in chapter 17. We're now in part 18 of our series, Wisdom That Works. Say that. That works. And you, uh, as always, before we even dive into the text, I want to do a quick review from last week's text, all of chapter 16. I gave you six points. You might remember these things. Briefly going to go through these. The first point was a purpose for everything. Everyone say that. A purpose for everything. That's found in verses 1 through 9. And Solomon says that proper planning, what it does, it includes acknowledging God's will and our limitations. And that God is the one who accurately weighs or evaluates the motives of our hearts. And if we commit to him, whatever we do, say whatever I do, our plans will succeed. Because he's the one who works out everything for his own. Own ends. And then Solomon says, by pleasing God, our lives will be more attracted to others, even our enemies. And to live an honest, righteous life brings satisfaction with what we possess, and that it's God, say God, it's God who determines our steps. The second point was kingly advice. Say that. Kingly advice, that's in verses 10 through 15. And Solomon, who was a king, right? He was a king, explains how kings and other rulers should behave. The third point was better than gold. Say that. Better than gold, and that's in verses 16 through 17. And as great as the blessed... As great as the blessing uh, wealth can bring us, wisdom brings greater blessings. Amen? Wisdom has more ultimate value than material, bless, material wealth. Excuse me. Then the fourth one was pride and prosperity. Say that. And that, that's in verses 18 through 26. And Solomon simply says it's better to be humble and poor than proud and rich. And the fifth point was destructive speech. Say that destructive speech, that's in verses 27 through 30. And Solomon there, he warns us about the destructive evil speech, speech uh, like a scorching fire. He talks about gossip and speech that stirs up, stirs up dissension and persuades others, speech that persuades others to join in violent acts. And the sixth point was the peaceful life. Say that. The peaceful life, that's verses 31 through 33, and it, it's living right. The peaceful life is it's living right. It's keeping our emotions under control through the power of the Holy Spirit, and it's knowing that God is in control and that God has a final say in our life. Someone say amen to that. This now brings us to today's text. The title of my message is Wisdom and Friendship. Say that. Three points. If you're ready, say yes. Come on. Yes. Number one is a refining fire. Write that down. Say that. A refining fire. Look at verse 1 with me. Solomon says, Better a dry crust with peace and quiet than a house full of feasting with strife. So this verse rephrases the same idea in chapter 15. You might remember that. Chapter 15, verses 16 through 17. And the phrasing used here is meant to contrast foods like bread, uh, bread crust with roasted meats. Now, you know, I don't know anyone who craves a dry, dry piece of bread. Maybe you do. I don't know anyone that, that craves that. Maybe, you know, if you have some dipping sauce, that might be cool, okay? But I don't, I don't know anyone who craves a dry piece of bread. And Solomon's point here is there is nothing appealing, listen now, nothing appealing about a dry piece of bread, yet the blessing of peace and quietness 
in the home is so amazing that it can make a dry piece of bread, listen now, a dry piece of bread or a bowl of cornflakes without milk seem better, right? Seem better and more satisfying than in the home with strife, right? Feasting on a big juicy steak with all the fixings. Listen, when a, family, a family's focus is only on material wealth and in comfort instead of godliness, harmony, and love, tensions, tensions can ruin high, excuse me, can run high, can run high, and, and arguments are bound to happen. And you see, friends, peace and quietness that contrasts with strife is more valuable than material goods or fancy foods. Can I get an amen? So there's nothing like having, and we know this, I said this a couple of weeks ago, there's nothing like having peace and quietness in the home, right? There's such a blessing when you, there's just so much peace and so much tranquility, quietness in the home, Amen? And that's Solomon's point. Verses 2 and 3. A wise servant will rule over a disgraceful son. Get that. A wise servant. A wise servant will rule over a disgraceful son and will share the inheritance as one of the brothers. So, so a father might choose to leave a larger share uh, to a loyal, hardworking servant than to a son who brings the family shame. That's what Solomon's saying. The, the hardworking, loyal, wise servant, say wise servant, may actually, get this now, may actually be put in charge of the disgraceful son and replace him in the father's will. This is, this is the bottom line. The disgraceful son, get this now, the disgraceful son becomes a servant and the wise servant becomes a son. Wow. Verse 3, the crucible, which a crucible is a container used to heat metals, container used to heat metals to burn off the impurities. So the crucible for silver and the furnace, a furnace for gold, but the Lord, what, tests the heart. Listen, just like refining fire burns off the impurities of silver and gold, God, through a refining process, burns off the impurities in our lives. And friends, this speaks of his testing and, and his purifying and cleansing, or get this now, or loving correction, say that, to his children. And you see, God's refining fire, God's refining fire of hardships, affliction, persecution, or testing proves what parts of our lives are godly and what parts of our lives are not godly. If you're safe, say Amen. The ultimate purpose, listen now, friends, the ultimate purpose of life's difficult experiences is to refine our faith, to refine our faith and to demonstrate its genuineness. Now, I want you to write this down because it's going to blow you away. Isaiah 48.10, some of you might know this by heart, might know this, might come across this. Isaiah 48.10, and God says this, see, I have refined you. Though not as silver, I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. This is God talking. In the furnace of affliction. Now write this down, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. Because in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 through 7, Peter, what he does there, he describes how various trials test the genuineness of our faith. And in verse 7 of 1 Peter 6, he says this, These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even, 
even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine. Maybe what? Proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So trials, this is now refine our faith, and they test the reality, the authenticity of our faith. He, speaking of God, God puts, this is now, God puts us under pressure. Because he can, right? He puts us under pressure, under pressure to see what we're made of. And Peter says, this may be proved. May be proved. God does this that we may what? Be proved. That whole phrase, may be proved, in the Greek is one word. It's, it's dakimatso. Say that. Dakimatso, it means to test, it means to examine, it means to prove, it means to scrutinize, it means to see whether a thing is genuine or not. It means to recognize as genuine after examination, to approve, it means to approve, it means to deem worthy. You know how a jeweler could always tell if the gold was brought to him, the gold that was brought to him was real or fake? This is what he would do. He would put the gold in the fire, and he would heat it up. And he would heat, heat it up to the right smelting temperature in a smelting furnace or pot, and he, would, and, and, and he could tell if it's fake or if it's real and how pure that gold is. That being said, you know how you and I, friends, can tell what our faith is like? I'll tell you how, friends. Heat it up. Heat it up. Put it in the fire. See what kind of purity. And when you put it in the fire, see what kind of purity or impurities exist in your faith. So here's the lesson. You ready for the lesson? Our faith is often fashioned in the furnace of affliction. It's true. Our faith is often fashioned in the furnace of affliction. And I want you to get this. A faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Are you with me? So what God does, God tests our faith. He tests our faith to strengthen us, but also to reveal to us what kind of faith you and I have. Now, if you're safe, say, say amen. God tests us in the furnace of affliction, because that's what the Scriptures say, right? He tests us in the furnace of affliction not to destroy us, but to develop us. Not to hurt us, but to help us. Not to ruin us, but to refine us. God is in the refining business because he doesn't want our hearts to stay the same. He doesn't want us to stay the same. He wants to make it better, right? And he wants to make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. So he puts us through these things. He allows certain things in our lives to refine our fire. Do we like it? No. But he does it so, maybe, so we can grow in our faith, but also there might be, there might be some impurities in our life, the dross that we got to separate from. Amen? Can someone say amen? Verses 4 and 5. A wicked man listens to evil lips. So this person listens to other evil people and finds their counsel appealing. That's because they're both evil. Got it? They're evildoers. It's like that saying, birds of a feather flock together. Then Solomon says, a liar pays attention to a malicious, that's another word there is destructive, tongue. 
So since this person is a liar, they delight in spiteful things said about others. Their, their, their ears itch for, for dirty gossip. And it's kind of like, you know, hey, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. What, what, what happened next? What happened next? It's kind of like that. And those who listen to wicked talk, slander, those who accept sinful advice are participating in evil. In evil. Because what a person believes Whatever a person believes, listen now, influences their behavior and speech, doesn't it? Sure does. Verse 5, he who mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. Whoever gloats over disaster will not go unpunished. So the first part of this proverb condemns insulting or, or making fun of the less fortunate, that the way they look or the way they dress or the way they live or perhaps the kind of car they drive, I don't know. Listen, to insult them is to insult God. Why? Because God made everyone in his image. The second part of this proverb condemns gloating over the misfortune of others. And that attitude, especially that attitude is especially wicked when driven by spite. But it's sinful even if the misfortune is expected or deserved. And what it does, it reveals a petty and spiteful heart. Now, I want to say this, okay? It is appropriate. It's okay to appreciate justice. And we should appreciate justice, right? We should appreciate that. We can legitimately approve of well-deserved consequences for evil, right? Right? But that's very different, listen, friends, than experiencing joy over another person's pain and suffering. Get this, smirking over someone's agony, even if they earned it, listen, it's contrary to God's will. You guys get that? Whoever gloats over disaster will go, will not, excuse me, go unpunished. So refining fire, number two, are you guys ready for this? Family pride, say that. Family pride. Now, there's two kinds of pride in the Bible. You have the pride that's arrogant, no good, and you have a good pride, and Paul talks about it in the New Testament, right? We, we should take pride in the work that we do, things like that, pride in our family. We should, right? So we're talking about the good pride here. Got it? You got it? So you got it. Verse 6, children's children are a crown to the aged. You got that? <laughs> so this is speaking of grandchildren, right? Because they're like a crown of glory for for a grandparent. And, and, and you notice that, that the grandparents wear their grandkids as a beautiful crown, right? I mean, they're always bragging about them, talking about them. Look at their pictures, right? Isn't it true? Because grandchildren are such a blessing, right? And the wonderful thing about grandchildren, after you watch them, you can give them back, right? But they're a treasure to their grandparents, aren't they? And I got to tell you, my grandson, Jenny, just brings so much joy to my heart. You know, he just, I just love that little boy. And, you know, he's, he's the crown of my head right now. And I just, I just love him. I brag about him and I just think about him all the time. He's such a blessing. Someone said, if I would have known how wonderful grandchildren were, I would have had them before my children. But notice what Solomon says. Notice what he says. And parents are the pride of their children. Nothing so enriches children and brightens their lives like a godly father or a godly mother. Right? So here's a lesson. 
Be a godly parent. Be a godly parent. As, as Christian parents, listen now, parents, we ought to give our kids something godly to admire, to admire. And you see, to have a wise, respected, godly father, godly mother makes a child proud. And I got to tell you, I'm a, I'm a proud child. My, my parents were godly examples to me. My dad's now with the Lord, praise God. He's up in, in, in heaven, the presence of Jesus. My mom's still here. But man, I, they, you know, they are the pride of my heart. They lived such a God, in a godly way that just, man, I was always proud of the way they lived. Listen, parents, we are the guardians and the most influential teachers of divine truth to our children. Are you with me? Therefore, we should live and parent in such a way that would cause our children to take pride in us. Take pride in us. The bottom line is this. Grandparents should be proud of their grandchildren, and children should be proud of their parents. That's what Solomon's driving at. A refining fire, say that. A family pride, say that. And we're going to spend most of our time here. Number three is fools and friends. Fools and friends. Verses 7 through 9, if you're with me, say amen. Now, the NIV, NIV says arrogant, but that's not the right translation. The right translation there is eloquent or excellent. So Psalm would say eloquent or excellent lips, which regard, regarding speech. So eloquent, eloquent, excellent speech or lips are unsuited to a fool. In other words, don't ever expect the words that come out of a fool's mouth to be wise or having any sense of value. They're fools. Then he says, how much worse lying lips to a ruler. And Solomon's point is this, just, just like we don't expect eloquence or excellent speech from fools, nor should we, he, fools, nor should we expect lies from our leaders. Rulers, say rulers, say leaders, are to live according to a high standard. Right? We should not expect lies from them. Because they're leaders, rulers, and they live, they should live to a higher standard. Can I get an amen? Verse 8, a bribe, uh, means secret gifts, is a charm to the one who gives it. Wherever he turns, he or she succeeds. So here Solomon's making an observation. He's observing this. And it's simply saying that a bribe usually works. It's not right. It's not right. But Solomon's saying, as he observes this, a bribe usually works. Not right, right? But it does work. Now, if you're safe, say amen. We should never give bribes. Never. And we should always refuse to accept bribes. Amen? Verse 9. He who covers over an offense promotes love. You guys get that? He who, over, he who covers over an offense promotes love. Now, we covered this back in chapter 10. You might remember this. First of all, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that love condones sin. Because if you read the Bible, the Bible is very clear that love confronts sin. Right? What this means is when someone does you wrong, when someone hurts you, friends, instead of exposing what that person has done, what you do is you cover it. Say cover it. In other words, you forgive them because love speedily forgives and forgets. 
In other words, you don't keep a feud going by retaliating or holding a grudge against that person. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5d, known as the love chapter, says love keeps no record of wrongs. In other words, it, does, it keeps no catalog or score of the sins of others. It refuses to dwell on how they hurt you or sin against you. Love doesn't allow the shortcomings and failures of others to keep us from loving them. You don't have to like them, but you got to love them. Then he says, but whoever repeats the matter does what? Separates what? Close friends. In other words, to uncover someone's sin by repeating it to others, in other words, blasting it on social media, will ruin relationships and divide friendships. And I've seen it. Because friendships require the ability, listen, true friendships require the ability to forget wrongs done to them. If you keep bringing it up, keep bringing it up, you end up losing the friend. You do. Right? Some things, say some things, should remain buried. <laughs> right? So don't go, so don't, don't, do not rake up old problems. Leave them buried. Can I get amen? Verses 10 through 14, 10 through 14. A rebuke impresses a man of discernment more than a hundred lashes a fool. In other words, Solomon's saying the discerning person responds to correction. They not only respond to correction, but they learn from it. But the fool, say the fool, when being corrected repeatedly, repeatedly won't receive it or respond to it. So follow me here. The problem is not the correction. The problem is the fool. Got it? The problem is not the correction. The problem is the fool. And you see, correction is more effective for a wise person, what Solomon's saying, for a wise person than a hundred blows on a fool. And the bottom line is this correction benefits the one desiring to learn. A fool doesn't want to learn, but the wise do, the discerning do. And they're willing to be corrected. Verse 11, an evil man is bent only on rebellion. A merciless official, which also can be messenger of death, will be sent against him or her. So those who want to be rebellious are going to get bad news ultimately. Got it? And this is what we call what? The law of the what? The law of the harvest. Right? The law of the harvest. What you sow is what you reap. Verse 12, better to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool bent on folly. Do you get that? You ever, have you ever seen on TV a bear robbed of her cubs? Not a happy mama. And, and Solomon's saying better to meet her. <laughs> better to meet her, right? Better, better to meet her than a fool bent on folly. Because a, a, a foolish person in the midst of foolish... Action, foolish actions can be more dangerous than a mother bear who lost her cubs. The wise man, say wise man, wise woman, say woman, will stay away from such a fool and their folly. That's why we have to be discerning who's acting foolishly and stay away from them. You can pray for them, but stay away from them. Verse 13, if a man, woman, pays back evil for good, evil will never leave his or her house. So the one who gives evil to the good 
which goes against God's moral order, can expect their own home to be troubled by evil. Again, here we have the law of the harvest. What you sow is what you reap. Verse 14. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter. Say that. Come on. Drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. We can stay all, all Sunday on this, right? Just on this side, out, right? When you pour water, you can't get it back. Can't. Okay? When you start a quarrel, what happens, the breach appears or happens. It begins with a small little crack, and then breach happens, and the situation gets out of control, and destruction and hurt is inevitable. Not a good thing for relationships, friends. Not a good thing for relationships. So here's a lesson. You ready? Here's a lesson. Don't start a fight. Don't start a fight. Stop a fight before it begins. And I'll, let, me tell, let me say this. This is why wisdom is so important. This is why this book, Proverbs, is so important. Why? Because wisdom, say wisdom, sees that it's much better to stop contention before it ever starts. Wisdom says, I'm going to be a peacemaker. I'm going to seek to make peace. I'm not going to add to the trouble or the contention, right? Now let me say this. Be sure you pick your battles. There are some battles you don't need to fight for. There are some you do. There are some you do, but do it right. Amen? But there are some battles you don't need to fight for. Just walk away. Pick your battles. There are some conflicts that you and I need to let go of. And that's what wisdom does. Wisdom says, is this really worth arguing or debating or fighting over? And wisdom says, no. Not, I'm not going to start a fight because that's exactly what the devil, the enemy wants. Verses 15 through 16 acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, the Lord did test them what? Both. Listen, justice requires the opposite outcome of that that the wicked are condemned and the just are what? Justified. Why? Because God hates injustice, He hates injustice. And in our world today, what, what do we see in our world today? Huh? Evil is called good, and good is called evil. They got it backwards. That's how messed up our society is. God hates that. Say, God hates that. Verse 16, of what use is money in the hand of a fool, since he has no desire to get wisdom? So the idea here, friends, is that it's Foolish for a fool to try to buy wisdom when they don't have the sense to comprehend it or don't intend to follow that wisdom. It's kind of like, you know, why go to school and pay good money for tuition if you don't plan to put into practice what you're learning? That's what he's saying. It's a waste of money, right? Now, one of the reasons, one of the reasons why a fool has no desire to get wisdom is because the price of wisdom, say the price of wisdom, and you got to get this, the price of wisdom involves humility and the willingness to be corrected. You get that? That's why. Fools don't, listen, fools are not humble. And fools don't want to be corrected. But the wise humble themselves, and the wise are willing to be corrected. Can I get an amen? 
Verse 17, here's Solomon, what he does. He points out the value, and I love this part here, the value of a true friend, of a true brother. And by the way, friend and brother are one and the same in this verse. Got it? One and the same in this verse. A true friend is a brother. A true friend is a sister. Can I get an amen? Solomon says, a friend loves at what? Come on, say it, friends. At all times. Not sometimes. Not just in the good times. Not when it's convenient. Not when it's easy. No, no, no. At all times. And Solomon, he's not talking about a fair-weather friend. You know, a fair-weather friend is just your friend when things are going good. He's not talking about that. He's talking about a true friend. A true friend, a genuine brother, a genuine sister exhibits true love in favorable circumstances and in unfavorable circumstances. They're there all the time. Then he says, get this, this this blows me away, and the brother is born for adversity. Did you get that? Listen, men, your brother, listen, women, your sister was born to help you. Did you get that? God knew that you and I needed help, right? That we needed help one day. And so God put a brother or a sister in your life at that specific time to help you. That's what it means. A brother or sister is born for adversity. Amen? And I want to tell you, men, this is why you men need to find a man, a true friend, right, who you can commune with and fellowship with because a man understands a man's heart. I love my wife. I love her. And there are certain things that she can understand, but there are certain things she cannot understand because I'm a man and vice versa, right? So, men, you need to find a man, a man, right, because he understands your heart. And it's a blessing, say blessing, to have a man, a friend, a brother who understands where you're coming from. Because women and women are, men and women are different. They're different, right? You don't see two men walking to the bathroom together. Just go to the bathroom, okay. No. But it's okay for a woman to say, hey, I want to go to the bathroom. You want to go? Be sure. Let's go. They're different. Women, you need to pick a lady, right, that you can trust because she understands your heart. There's some things I understand about my wife. There's some things I just don't understand. I just don't understand because she's a woman. and We're different. So this is why you need to find a lady in your life that you can trust because a woman understands a woman's heart. And it's a blessing to have a woman write a sister who understands where you're coming from. True? So if you don't have a true friend, you better find one because you need one. Now I want to say this. You need to find a friend who you can trust, but get this now, you need to be a friend who can be trusted. Amen? You guys with me? Verses 18 through 19, a man lacking in judgment strikes or shakes hands in pledge and puts up security for his neighbor. Solomon's simply saying this in verse 18, don't foolishly co-sign for a loan. Get that? That's all he's saying. Verse 19, he who loves a quarrel loves sin. In other words, if you love sin, you also love living without peace. And a person like this is one who's always arguing with others. Always arguing with others. They create strife. 
That's who he's talking about. Then he says this, he who builds a high gate invites destruction. So that phrase, he or she who builds a high gate invites destruction, could, this could mean two things. It could mean pretending to be rich and great when you're not. Trying to impress others. And that would, that would be evidence of pride and arrogance. The second thing it could mean, it could mean this, or it could, it could, it could be in reference to the mouth. To the mouth. In other words, this would refer to arrogant talk. Arrogant talk. Builds a high gate. Okay, arrogant talk. So you ready for the lesson? Here's the lesson. Pride is dangerous. The bad pride is dangerous. Dangerous. And you heard me say this last week, I believe, that pride is a hindrance. It will hinder your life. Pride, listen now, friends, it's baggage that hampers our travels through life. What it does, pride dilutes our joy. Yeah? It hinders our achievements. It makes uh, us lose perspective, perspective on the things that really, really matter in life. You know what pride does? That's what it does. It destroys relationships. It destroys relationships. Verses 20 through 22, you're still with me? Say amen. A man, woman of perverse heart does not prosper. He or she whose tongue is deceitful falls into trouble slash evil. This is one of the many statements in Proverbs that God will not permit the wicked to ultimately prosper in life. Now, it may seem like, right, we talked about this last week, it may seem like they're getting over, like, like they're winning, right? Does it seem like that? But they're not. Say they're not. Life for them, what Solomon's saying, life for them will not work if it's built on crookedness and perversity. Wicked ways and wicked words will eventually produce trouble for them. Let God deal with them, amen? Verse 21, to have a fool for a son brings grief. There is no joy for the father of a fool. A godly father has no greater sorrow than his child than when his child is morally and spiritually senseless. Right? I, I can relate to that. On the other hand, there, there's no greater joy when his child is walking with God. I can relate to that. You guys with me? So I have two who are not walking with God. I have one who is. It's not fun. We just got to pray for them and love them. Verse 22, a cheerful heart. I love this. A cheerful heart is what? Good medicine. In other words, laughter, what laughter does, laughter has medicinal effects on the body. A joyful outlook produces a better chance of a healthy life. Did you know that? Now, of all people, and you've heard me say this many times in this series, of all people, we Christians should be the most cheerful, joyful people on the face of the earth. Right? We should be. And he says, but, but, a crushed spirit. In other words, a spirit that's sad. A down, depressed spirit dries up the bones. Did you get that? What does it do? Sadness breaks you down, friends. It can make you, re- it can make you, me, it can make you weak. It can make you sick. Not just physically, but emotionally and spiritually. And we're human, I get it. We get down, we get sad. 
But don't stay there because, friends, it dries up the bones. So you ready for the lesson? Here's a lesson. Read God's word, pray, and worship. Read God's word, pray, and worship. See, when you read God's word, when you dive into God's word, guess what, friends? You begin to be filled with joy. His word restores you. It brings life into you. That's what his word, it's a living word. When you pray, there's something, there's something powerful about prayer. Oh, when you begin to pray to God, oh gosh, doesn't he restore your joy? How about worship? That's why worship's important. That's why it's important for us to praise God, the living God. Listen, when you're down and out, just stop what you're doing and begin to worship the living God. And I'll tell you why that's so important, friends, because worship, listen now, calls us in the very presence of God. And when you're in the very presence of God, worship also, listen now, worship calls us in the presence of God. But not only that, but it also changes our perspective. So as you worship, it calls you into the presence of God. And when it calls you into the presence of God, what happens is it begins to change your perspective. You're no longer leaning upon your heartache and your depression and your sad heart. Now your focus is on Him and you see things in a different light. Amen? So when you're down and out, just stop. Read God's Word. Pray and worship. Amen? Verses 23 and 25, a wicked man, woman accepts a bribe in secret to pervert the course of justice. So judges and, and political officials with integrity won't accept a bribe. Unfortunately, we see that a lot where they do, right? But the per perverted ones will. And what they do is they twist justice. And we see that a lot today, don't we? Verse 24, a discerning man, woman keeps wisdom in view. I love that. But a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. So this verse, I love this, this verse contrasts the single-mindedness mindedness of the person of wisdom with the unfocused wondering of the attention of the foolish person. And the wise person, say the wise person, come on, the wise person sees things in light of wisdom. Wisdom's in front of them. They can see things in light of wisdom, right? He keeps, she keeps wisdom in view. I love that. The wise person sees things in light of wisdom. Therefore, it makes everything clear and able to understand. Because that's what wisdom does. While the foolish person who doesn't see things with the eyes of wisdom have their eyes everywhere, everywhere except where they should be. Verse 25. A foolish son brings grief to his father and bitterness to the one who bore him. So this is similar to verse 21. We just covered that. A parent finds great pain, right? Come on, parents. Great pain and grief in the foolish character of their children. True? Now, I want you to notice something. He says, and bitterness, let's go back to the last part of that verse, and bitterness, that's also referred to a broken heart to the one who bore him. What does this mean? It means mothers have a maternal instinct, right? And bond with their children. They just do. Therefore, there is a deeper, greater pain and, and greater grief that belongs to the mother of a foolish son or daughter. In other words, it, it's a bitter pill for a mother to swallow. Verses 26 or 28. It is not good to punish an innocent man or to flog officials for their integrity. 
In other words, to impose a fine or to administer a beating to a person who is innocent, who is righteous, is a grievous sin. In God's moral order, listen now, friends, in his moral order, the the righteous are to be rewarded and the wicked are to be punished. Right? And by the way, this is good advice for anyone who is in the position of authority or leadership. Verse 27, a man of knowledge, a woman of knowledge uses words with restraint. I'm going to stop there. A man, a woman of knowledge uses words with restraint. I know a few men, my daddy is one of them, who would just keep silent. I'd observe my dad a lot in the midst of just people talking and we're there and he would just keep silent. But when he spoke, I was always amazed with his wisdom. He didn't speak right away. But when he spoke, man, a fountain, a flood of wisdom would come out of his mouth. If you're safe, say amen. Don't be so quick to have, you have to give your opinion. Are you guys with me? But when you give it, make sure, listen now, make sure it's well thought out. I'll say you can't speak, but listen, in the midst of a conversation, just, just stop and listen. Listen to people. Listen. Gather what they're saying. Make sure, friends, listen now that you've measured and weighed your thoughts. And then when you speak, speak. It brings forth value, amen? Make sure it's well thought out. I love this poem. An old owl sat in, the, an old owl sat in an oak. The more he saw, the less he spoke. The less he spoke, the more he heard. Why can't we be like that old bird? Then Solomon says, and the man, a woman of understanding, is what? Even tempered. I always might say, of a calm spirit. That's a mark of wisdom. That's a mark of wisdom. You want to have friends? You want to have friends? There it is. A man and woman of understanding is even tempered, right, of a calm spirit. That's a mark of wisdom. But to be constantly agitated, angry and upset is a mark of folly. That's why, you, you know, you notice people who are always angry have no friends, right? So they're always talking to themselves. They don't want to talk to you, right? But a wise person has friends. Why? Because they're common spirit, even tempered. Verse 28, we're almost done here. This is, and this is good advice. This is good advice for the fool. Okay, Solomon gives good advice for the fool. And, and what he's using here, I think Solomon's using humor here, humor. He says, even a fool is thought wise if he or she keeps silent. <laughs> and discerning if he or she holds their tongue. So this continues the same idea from the previous verse. And both the previous verse and this verse recognizes the virtue of self-imposed restraining speech. And this verse, friends, makes a clear observation that even a fool, the fool, may pass for being wise if he or she keeps her mouth shut. (laughs) So this is the bottom line. We're going to close here because I know it's getting late here. And I'm just going to close with this. It's a good thing to be quiet and speak only when the Holy Spirit prompts us to speak. And if you want to have great friendships, be wise, because wisdom tells you when not to speak.
tells you when to speak when the Holy Spirit prompts you. Amen? Let's all stand. Father, we thank you for your word.